it's Deli Alley. Here's Lucas Moura. Oh, they've done it! Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast, a Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by an assortment of Spurs fans and Dave. Dave is our resident Leeds fan, and he is here to keep us all honest and provide us with a degree of impartiality and a whole load of trolling. And to remind us that whenever things seem bad and you've just conceded three goals and had a player sent off, you may well not be the only ones. So, uh, Dave, welcome back. We've made it to another week. Are you uh, starting to regret this yet? Yes. <laughs> but this is what you wanted, no. wasn't it? You wanted us to lose. This was this is what you've been well, waiting for. Tro- trolling a 3-0 defeat is no fun, especially when you've just suffered the exact same. So, yeah, I'm probably going to keep my daggers in my pocket. Your, your chance will come, I'm sure, but we'll, we'll get back to you in, in a little bit. First of all, before we go on any further, I just want to say on behalf of everyone, really, thank you so much to everyone who, who listened last week. We really didn't know what to expect. And we've had a really good response, not just in terms of the number of people listening, but also in terms of reviews and ratings. And we've had some really nice comments as well. So thank you to everybody. Uh, one thing that was particularly interesting was just to see the reach we've had, we, we've gone global, guys. We, we've had people listening in all corners of the world. We've had listeners in the US, in Australia, in Romania, India, Egypt, Hong Kong. Honestly, too many to list. And it's, it's amazing to see. And I think the Internet's never going to stop amazing me personally that we're sitting around talking about football. And there are people literally on the other side of the world who are, who are listening to it. So thank you to all of you, whoever you are. And whoever you are, we would love to hear from all of our listeners, of course. But particularly anyone who is in any of these countries, we'd love to hear your story. What made you start supporting Spurs? Were you a local and moved away? Or is there a particular player that you like? You are Australian contingent. Are you Leeds fans, perhaps? Are you uh, perhaps a fan of, of a Mark Viduka? We'd love to hear from you either way. So, uh, so thank you all for that. That's brilliant to see. And we've had a few specific comments that I thought would be worth reading out as well. Dave, I think you had one that was pretty nice that I thought we'd like to hear, just to get us all started. And it seems particularly irrelevant today. Yeah, a good bit of feedback and very prescient. Uh, <laughs> from one of my friends, Matt, who is, a, who is a Spurs fan. Great content, optimistic bunch though, aren't they? I look forward to hearing them getting gradually ground down throughout the season. <laughs> that is the Tottenham way. <laughs> so, oh. yeah. Amazing. We can all appreciate that right now. <laughs> I think that was very well timed. And yeah, hopefully we have a few more weeks before we totally fall apart. But uh, I, I actually had one from an old housemate of mine, which, uh, which touched my heart. And he says, in all seriousness, it was actually pretty good. I managed to listen to about 20 minutes of it, which considering I don't like Tottenham football or you is quite impressive. So, just lovely. It touched my, touched my heart, those words. Very, very sweet. Well, look, we're going to have a few more mentions from listeners and from our social media followers as well. Of course, if you are listening now and you'd like to get in touch for anything for us to discuss, if you have any comments or questions, please do let us know. Our social media accounts are Plus Dave Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. And we can also be reached on email at plusdavepodcast at gmail.com. We will, of course, be going on to talk about the game just gone, much as I think some of us would rather pretend it didn't happen, but uh, that's what we're here for. We're going to look forward to Chelsea as well, but before I do, it is my great pleasure to introduce a new member of the Plus Dave team. And indeed, we are plussing another Dave, as it happens. It's my great pleasure to welcome a good friend of mine, a long-suffering Tottenham fan, season ticket holder, and of course, our reigning FPL Plus Dave League champion, David Price. Pricey, as you will henceforth be known for the sake of avoiding any confusion. How are you today? 
I'm well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, and, and absolutely right. I, I feel like I probably need to differentiate myself from the, the main, I guess, kind of Dave slash star of the show. It's a hard act to follow, really, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, look, it's 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 a great name. It's in the title, so I'm glad <laughs> I can I can uh, <laughs> I can join and be be a part of it. When you tell your friends and family about this, you can just tell them that it's all about you and that you are. It's the all Dave. about me. Yeah. And then they'll be roped it. in. It'll be That's too late. That's the plan. <laughs> so, so you're a season ticket holder. Obviously, you've been going to Spurs a couple of seasons now, haven't you? Started out at Wembley, now at yeah. the new stadium. So, absolutely. How uh, how do the two compare? Much better this way, isn't it? It's, you know, it's, the, the new stadium, I'm sure lots of people that have been there, Spurs fans, non-Spurs fans for the NFL games, the odd travelling away fan um, that you kind of bump into, have all commented on how awesome it is. And I'm sure we'd all agree yeah. here, it's it's a game-changing arena. And they've done an amazing job with the stadium and it's just leagues better than Wembley. Obviously, we were very lucky to be at the um, the England semi-final, England-Denmark. We were. Um, and actually, it was great to be back at Wembley, but it, it's not a touch on the Spurs stadium. But yeah, I was very grateful for the the increased capacity to tag along to the uh, season ticket list. Well, I, I'm actually, I had the pleasure of going to our next game, our home game against Chelsea, which is it's an exciting time for me because it'll be the first time I've sat in really good seats with my glasses on at our new stadium. So I'm very excited about that. And as if that wasn't enough, I would also have the pleasure of Joe Brooker's company uh, at the game. We're, we're going together, which is fantastic. Joe, you looking forward to that one? Yeah, very much so. And I think kind of in keeping with being in some ways, the lowest ranking member of the, the Spurs group here. It's my first time at oh, the stadium. Oh, don't be hard on yourself. <laughs> so Yeah, so I haven't, I haven't been yet. So um, I didn't get there in, in the first season. And um, of course, having had a global pandemic ever since over the last 18 months, that, that's put pay to, to go in at any time then. So uh, yeah, and, and what a game, Chelsea. So uh, yeah, very much looking forward to be sat next to you. Quite a game to be uh, to be your first game at the new stadium. And speaking of uh, first games, it has been brought to my attention, brought to my attention by you, in fact, that uh, I neglected to ask you in the last episode about your first ever Tottenham game, and it's an interesting one. Yeah, it's only because it didn't even occur to me when we were recording this, but listening back to it, I suddenly realised that I didn't get the chance to, to say it. And it was actually against Leeds, so pretty pretty relevant with the current company. And yeah, back in the 94-95 season it was a really dull game that was one all uh, with Sheringham scoring and Brian Dean scored an equaliser so uh, not sure if people can remember that far back you're showing how much older you are than me Joe that's you're giving your age away I know yeah, yeah. not my first game but the earliest game I actually remember was also that season it was Jerry France's first game in charge we we were playing Villa home we went down we came back to equalise for three all and then at the very death of that game, I can't remember who it was. It was either Dean Saunders or Damian Atkinson killed us 4-3 in typical Spurs fashion and, and crushed all our dreams. So my memory goes back just as far as yours, Joe. I imagine earlier your first game, you were probably in nappies. Um, there are lots of stories from my dad about me wanting to leave at halftime more <laughs> concerned with kicking last season. feet in front of me. <laughs> yep, just last season and... Uh, <laughs> And uh, yeah, just sort of not taking much of an interest until I was sort of eight, nine, ten-ish. Pricey, do you remember your first game? I do actually. It was uh, so my. I'm very fortunate that my family have held a season ticket for for most of my life through through my brother mostly, and then a couple of other members. And it was actually when I took my brother's seat when I was uh, ten years old for Spurs Coventry, and I remember Dion Dublin nailing a uh, a thirty yard shot in into the Paxton Road end. I think it was at the time where I was sitting. But yeah, we went on to win 3-1. Believe it or not, Rule Fox scored two goals and then gave me a completely uh, 
distorted view wow. of Rule Fox for the rest of uh, my career. Needless to say, I was disappointed, as I, as I have been ever since as a Spurs fan. Yeah, I think that's potentially an interesting discussion point at some point in the future. Just the most misleading first games. There's a certain left back against Arsenal that springs to mind in that conversation who we'll, we'll get on to. Uh, so you mentioned your brother there. Obviously a big part of you being a Spurs fan. Was that kind of the main influence? Is that how it all started for you? Your older brother supporting Spurs? Yeah, it was. One of my, one of my earliest memories was my brother, who's, who is 11 years older than me, I should say. When I was very small, picked me up and hung me over a banister by my ankles and said, you will support Spurs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or, or else. And I've lived the rest of my life, as I said, in a blend of constant fear and disappointment. Amazing. That is brilliant. Well, look, we've got a lot to get through. Welcome to the team, Pricey. Great to have you. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, we, we are going to go and talk about the game. But look, they say a week is a long time in football. Two weeks is a really long time. And I think it's safe to say that these two weeks have been longer for Spurs than they have for most. We, we started the international break, of course, with what can only really be described as a circus. And we've had all kinds of problems with injuries and the rest of it. Elio, do you want to sum this up? I feel like you can give us a good uh, assessment of this horror show. I mean, horror show does just sum it up in full, really. Well, the Argentina situation is the obvious touch paper here. It was it was just a farce. Like the rest of the Premier League, we did not give permission for travel. Then the two Aston Villa Argentinian boys broke ranks and went uh, anyway with Villa's permission, at which point we were kind of strong-armed into our boys joining them they actually just got on the bus and decided to go along essentially so we put a very rushed agreement out to the Argentinian FA where our players would just play the first two games miss the third one come back after the second one which was going okay I guess in the greater scheme of things all right they'd always miss the game we've just had and the Ren game coming up but it wasn't going to be a complete disaster until what can only be described as a Brazilian circus ensued. They they won their first game. They played their first game. Romero didn't even play in that because he was suspended. Both line up against Brazil. Brazil, who none of their players did get to go along because they were forbidden by their clubs. And as a result, the Brazilian government decided to get involved in football, which is never fun in the slightest. And four minutes into that match, they decided to march onto the pitch and effectively try to arrest two of our players. Basically, they have England as a red list country, just in the same way that we have Brazil as a red list country. And our players apparently lied to get in the country, or someone lied on their behalf to get in the country about their whereabouts for the past few weeks, which is absolutely mad because they'd just been playing live on worldwide television for us in the previous game. So, so that's where that got to. In the meantime, they obviously have a lot of sort of emotional horror going on with all this. They're under threat of deportation. So they're put on a plane back to Croatia because if they'd come here, they would have to stay in a government-run hotel for 10 days and not be able to train or anything like that. So instead, they've gone to do their isolation over in Croatia where they are able to train with one of our physios who's flown out there and they'll be back on Saturday next week, the day before our next game. So it's all been a bit of a mess, really. I'm just wondering if you think this has soured the... Has it soured your opinion of these two players? No, um, I'm looking at them and I think they're in a rock, between a rock and a hard place because on the one hand, yes, they are paid by the club, they are loyal to the club, but at the same time, 
they've just been part of and key parts of an Argentinian team that's won their first title since the early 90s of any description. And this was going to be the first game after that in front of a full crowd against Uruguay. The game just happened, which they didn't end up being involved in anyway because of all this, where all the Argentinian celebrations would take place. So it was an incredibly emotional occasion. I mean, everyone's seen the pictures of Messi crying at the celebration and all that. So under normal circumstances, not going to play for your country and especially South American countries where they're somewhat volatile um, towards players that they see as disloyal, it is a really difficult thing for these boys to do. But in these circumstances especially, I think they should have never been put in that position. But I think the villains of this piece are FIFA, who never actually, ahead of all this, put their foot down and said, these are going to be the rules, we are going to support governments in this, and we are going to back clubs in this situation. Had they done that, then this would have never been an issue. They've ended up doing that retrospectively, which is why Liverpool were able to play their Brazilians and Chelsea were able to play theirs and all that the weekend just gone. But we didn't know that at the time. So, so no, I feel sorry for the players. It's been a horrible 10 days for them. It's quite a thorough summary, I have to say, but very impressed nonetheless. I guess it was all fine, though, because at least all of our players were fit. Oh, yeah. I mean... Son, Bergwijn, they didn't get injured. Skip didn't pick up a knock, which was clearly troubling him all day yesterday. None of that happened in the slightest. Oh, the the player that wasn't mentioned here was Davinson Sanchez, who's started every game at centre-back. And uh, yeah, he played very well so far this season. We both said last week he could have been our player of the month, but we, we lost him too. But no, it, it's been a horror show. That, that was a better description than everything I've said since. So... This takes us quite neatly into another horror show that followed, which was, of course, Sarah, our match against Crystal Palace. Now, it's hard to ignore the state of our squad going into this as a result of everything we've just discussed. We'll go on to talk about whether that excuses it or to what extent it was caused by that, and we'll dissect it in, uh, in quite some detail. But I think it's impossible to ignore the red card. We'll get on to talk about that incident in a bit more detail as well. But I think whilst it's safe to say the game did change to a degree after that point... I think it was clear that our problem started long before that. What did you make of our performance against Palace Pricey? It was, I guess, disappointing. Um, but but ultimately, I guess, warning signs have been there through the first three games of the season. That said, I think the change in formation, the change in personnel, all of the injuries that Elio touched upon there didn't help us. We, we were absolutely starting on the back foot put that then in context that Palace were at home, Selhurst Park was buzzing, they were clearly up for it and and we never really stood a chance at the end of the day. You, you know, the red card changed things massively. There was a, I guess, kind of a thought you know, we, we were kind of defending heroically as we had done for the first three games of the season, putting in an absolute shift at the back. And I think when they had the numerical advantage, it, it just kind of swung the tide, really. Uh, again, you know, it was a silly penalty to concede. And, and again, I think that probably caused the momentum to shift. Could we have ground out a nil-nil draw? You know, who knows? Again, it's these things that change the game. A bit like Leeds today had um, had they scored. I guess kind of in the first ten fifteen minutes might have been a different story. But but hey ho, I think we can we can certainly learn from this. That's that's the main thing we need to take forward. We we told Dave we go easy on Leeds, okay? So we'll we'll back off on that one. <laughs> Shared experiences. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you mentioned the defence. I mean, I, I actually agree. I, I felt that 
as odd as it is to say about a 3-0 defeat in retrospect, I think for a lot of the game, individual performances in our defence were pretty good. Obviously, we had a few standout moments from individual defenders that didn't go quite to plan. But it seems to me, and I'm curious to hear if anyone agrees, that this game was lost in midfield, and specifically a diamond-shaped midfield, to be exact. Uh, Elio, what, what are your thoughts on that? Managers have always done this and I've always wondered why and the result is often the same as it was yesterday. We had deficiencies in defence, we had deficiencies in attack because of the injuries, the internationals, the isolation situation and all that but the midfielders that have played well and started and protected defence while supporting attack were all fine to play so keep them as they are don't weaken the midfield when you're already weakening your attack and defence is my view on such things. But somehow um, that ended up being the go-to. Delhi ended up getting pushed further forwards where he hasn't played yet this season and he has not played well for a couple of years, if you ask most Spurs fans. We ended up going to that very narrow formation. We we lost uh, the usual pace we have in attack. I mean, you'd have thought that Hill coming in for Son, just like Lucas did for Bergwijn on the right, would have been quite an obvious thing to do. Keep Delhi where he is, keep that pace on the wings and that attacking threat. Regulon's protected well. None of that happens. And as a result of changing that entire shape and also replacing Delhi's midfield slot with a very different player in Winks, a player who might have a decent touch of the ball and is okay at keeping possession, but not a dynamic player, I think, is fair to say, and quite a slight player as well, who's not going to put in the athletic performance that Delhi's capable to put in. That just made everybody's job so much harder when it didn't need to be, in my opinion. Winks was poor, and it's uh, becoming a a coincidence, or more than a coincidence, to some of our slightly more disappointing performances where Winks has that pivotal role. And whether he needs more time or we need to find the right role for him if he is going to play a role in this squad but yeah game after game he just got absolutely terrorized in that and that midfield and it left kind of Gallagher with loads of space and probably one of the big challenges and problems that came out of that game and meant we had no control in the middle of the park at all. I mean, he had a dreadful game, but at the same time, I don't want to just make this a Winks bashing session because that's quite a popular pastime of Spurs fans <laughs> in the last couple of years. But a Winks hunt. The fact is that if you're taking a left central midfielder in Delhi, very athletic, very dynamic, very forward thinking in the way he plays, and you're taking a massively potent goal threat in Son, who's also one of the fastest players in the league, out of the sides and replacing them with Delhi in Son's position, who can't sort of burst that pace the way Son does, can't actually cut in and shoot the way Son does, can't link with Kane quite the same way Son does either, though he does have a good relationship with Kane. And then in Delhi's place, you're putting this okay all-rounder who'd probably have been more suited in coming in a more central role, maybe in the sort of simpler role that Skip plays. Then you're just changing your entire left side and changing everything that's worked in the last three games. So... Yeah, Winks did not play well. Winks has not played well for us in a while, but I don't think it's his fault that he was put into a situation that wasn't right for him or for the players around him as a result. Do you think perhaps it's less a case of the individual players and more a case of just that particular combination and the lack of creativity? I know we touched on it before and I don't want to keep banging that drum, but in terms of how similar those three players are, I saw a tweet earlier that actually said playing a midfield of Skip, Winks, 
and Hoiberg is like having chips, jacket and mashed potato for dinner. Yeah. I mean, that kind of sums it up a little bit, doesn't it? Do you think it's too much of the same and not enough balance? I do. I think that you've got three players who are all all-rounders. They have slightly different skill sets in terms of where their main strengths lie, but they all kind of do the same thing. Okay, Skip's probably the most aggressive. Hoibier is probably the one that's most able to lead the press. Winks is probably the neatest, but really they're all different versions of each other. None of them are that quick or athletic either, and you end up really susceptible to any kind of opposition that really wants to exploit their weaknesses because they all have the same weakness, which is they're not getting the ball forward and they're not really doing anything in either direction that's that effective. Do we need to worry that much about those three players starting together, though? Because surely this is just a circumstances thing where, you know, the disaster that's been this international break, I wouldn't expect to see those three again in, unless it was exactly the same circumstances. We've got so many midfielders out. Like you say, Deli Ali being pushed way more forward than you probably want him to be. I just hope this is just a one-off in terms of dealing with the last couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what I was getting at. I was saying, is is this just a case of this is an issue born out of our necessity to play those three rather than something intrinsic to the way we're playing this season? And hopefully it, it is just a case of bad timing and obviously the combination of all the players being out. We're 23 minutes in and, and I, I'm conscious I haven't brought up a stat yet and I'm sure you've all been itching to hear my first stat of the day. So uh, it might interest you to hear that according to Opta, uh, Spurs actually managed a grand sum of two shots at goal in the entire match, which is the lowest total we've managed since August 2005. I mean, no one's surprised by that, I imagine, <laughs> but what, what do we make of that? Well, we've already touched on a midfield that lacked in any creativity. The fullbacks did their best to push on, but the midfielders weren't able to find them. I also think our much-vaunted centre-forwards is responsible for that I think in a game where he wasn't getting much service in a tough game against a side that actually played pretty well as well he needs to do more to make things happen he did for England the other day he dropped 30 yards deep got the ball and hit an unbelievable shot okay there's a bit of luck with things like that but he was a passenger uh, it's a very weird thing to say Harry Kane was a passenger but he absolutely was and whether it's a fitness thing or his mind is on pastures uh, further northwest than than Tottenham I don't know but it just really fails to incentivize the team behind him if he's not there demanding the ball doing everything he can to get into the game he, he's he's not meant to be a penalty box striker he's meant to be the striker that can paper over a deficient midfield that's why everybody rates him so highly that's why Guardiola wants him so badly otherwise they could have just gone and gone for Lukaku or Vlavic from Fiorentina or something like that they wanted Kane for that very reason and he did not show that he was a player worth that hype yesterday. Dave just looking at the game at the whole first of all but also obviously Kane's involvement where does Spurs lose that game? Well I think my answer to both of those things is the same which is plan B in the sense that there didn't seem to be a plan B for Kane up front because there wasn't an option off the bench and it seems that Nuno had to start with plan B because of the absences that he had maybe even plan C or D and that meant that there wasn't any options for him I mean there was and Gil was on the bench and he didn't come on and that's interesting and I don't know if that's a Nuno call that he just think, doesn't think maybe he's up to speed yet or he needs to get on the weights because he's, he's a waif of a man I don't know 
but yeah, I I think that was certainly what I took from the game. I also I thought it was quite telling that Palace obviously they didn't have the problems that you guys had with the international break and the injuries and whatever the hell happened in Brazil. But they brought on Edouard and he made a difference. They brought on Olise, he made a great difference as well. They've got some young, really talented players on the bench that Vieira was obviously keen to just throw on there and see if they could make a positive effect. I mean, they were already 1-0 up, but he brought them on and they made a real difference. So I think Palace played great. I, my mother-in-law is actually a Palace fan, so I, I did ask her for, a, for her thoughts. And, and she just thought Spurs didn't really threaten. And it's probably one of the best Palace performances in the last 50 years. She also met Glenn Murray on the same day. So she she had her best day yesterday. That's a good day, isn't it? Yeah. She did well. No, absolutely. I think we have to give Palace some credit in this. And they did do well. They closed us down. They made the pitch very small for us, as they say. I think one thing that we have to put down to ourselves, though, is just a lack of willingness to use the wings, to use our fullbacks. And there were a few times, I think, Elio, you mentioned it before, where Emerson who I think had an okay debut, but he was he didn't really get the chance to show what he could do going forward because he was just screaming for the ball on the side of the pitch a few times. And it was very frustrating to watch. Yeah, it it's, must be more frustrating to be the guy stuck out high up on the right and seeing your midfield get the ball and not even attempt to look up and find you and go back to the centre-back or go to each other every single time. I, I felt sorry for him because... I actually thought he had a, a good debut. Okay, for I think the second or the third goal, the the goal on the counter. I think Edward's first goal, he was caught way up the pitch. But at that point, we were chasing the game. When it was nil nil, he was in good positions countless times. And maybe it's because he's new, so they don't know what he's about yet, and they don't trust him. Or maybe it's just because they're not capable of seeing those runs and making those passes. I feel if Kane had actually done what we're used to Kane doing over the years. He'd have been the guy to actually play him in on those occasions. And then you could have someone like Delhi make late runs in, Hoybier making late runs in. The way it transpired, you'd look at it on paper and say that was an uninspiring debut, but it's not really his fault. Or Regulon's on the other side. Joe, I'm going to come to you next. Uh, talking point we haven't come to yet. There were some pretty spectacular handbags at one point during the game involving young Jaffet Tanganga and Wilfred Zaha. Obviously, a couple of incidents leading to his eventual dismissal. What did you make of the whole thing? I kind of thought it was going to be a red with the initial challenge by Tanganga because I don't, I don't really know what he was trying to do, to be quite honest, when Zaha was running through. I don't even, I kind of remember if there was another man behind Tanganga, actually. I don't know if he was the last man when that happened. When it then burst out into another fight, I mean, I'm not, I'm not at all surprised he got booked and you could tell he had the bit between his teeth after that. And you just thought, please don't do anything stupid for the next five, 10 minutes because he clearly felt he'd been wronged to get booked in that, that confrontation with Zaha. I mean, Zaha did have his hands all over Tanganga as well, to be fair. So I wasn't at all surprised when he put that challenge in on Ayu that led to the Reds. I think it's kind of a weird thing to say, considering how bad that was for Spurs, because it you know the, the problems just came pouring in once we were down to 10 men. But I did like to see that fight in Tanganga. I don't know if you guys would, would agree, but it felt it did feel like he was fighting all through that game. And yes, it, it did go over the limit, but I'm, I'm pleased to see that he's got that in his character, having obviously not seen a huge amount of him so far in his first career. I think a little less would be nice. I think um, the way I look at it, there's, there's a lot of parts to this to break down, really. And I think Absolutely, the first incident, the shove alone was a yellow card. Nobody can argue with that. It was a ridiculous shove. I'm not really sure what he was thinking. The aftermath of it, 
there's an argument to say that his reaction alone could have been another yellow, although you rarely see compound yellow cards given in quick succession like that. So moving on. Zaha's reaction, I think, was worth a discussion. I think at the very least, a yellow was fair. But there's certainly an argument. Zaha, he had his hands on Tanganga's throat, on his face. I mean, I don't blame him for reacting the way he did, but the rules are the rules. And I think we have to at least consider Zaha quite lucky not to see red himself. Mm. Any thoughts on that? I think, I think Zaha got very lucky in that incident I think because and maybe you say this is fair there's some objectivity shown by the referee looking at the situation seeing that Zaha was only reacting like that because of what was quite a ridiculous I mean it was more like a a professional wrestling move than it was a, a tackle from Tanganga on him but even so like you say the rules are the rules and I think some refs would have sent Zaha off for that I think Tanganga's emotions did get the better of him, both with that incident and with quite a wild lunge that saw him sent off. But I think it was pent-up frustration for a number of Palace incidents that had been let go of. Gallagher was, who played very well, by the way, he's a very promising talent. Gallagher, I think we've had trouble against him before in his last loan as well, but he, he was charging about like a madman and making very, very aggressive tackles all day, which were going completely sort of unnoticed including for the build-up to Tanganga's first booking where he left Lucas in a heap I think how that wasn't a free kick to us and a booking for him I don't know so I think a bit of immaturity from Tanganga because usually he plays very well on a yellow sometimes better than before he gets booked but he saw a bit of red you don't really want to see that happen but at the same time the point Joe made that you almost enjoy it and like seeing that fight in our players It's not a bad thing, and I think you probably win more battles than you lose by having that fight in them. They're just going to learn to channel it. If anyone's listening, by the way, if you have any ideas for what Jaffet Tanganga's WWE name would be, please tweet them to us because we'd absolutely love to hear them. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, you mentioned that we've seen him on a yellow before and and the match that comes to mind is the Man City game where I was quite worried for a little while in that when he got a yellow quite early on. He was obviously up against Jack Grealish, who we know is an absolute magnet for fouls and Sterling. And I was really impressed with the maturity that he showed after that booking to actually keep it together and not get sent off and not really commit too many more fouls. And he ended up being maybe the man of the match in that game. And I felt really let down, actually, because uh, if you were to ask me to sum up Tanganga's performance this season as a whole, one word that would have come to my mind is maturity. I think for a young player breaking through, he's shown really good composure up against big opposition. And Pricey, I know Tanganga's someone that's particularly impressed you. I I seem to recall you singing his praises after that Man City game. And I I think I could hear you in the stands cheering, cheering for Jaffa Tanganga as his number one fan with your Tanganga shirt on. Up to this incident, he's not really put a foot wrong, has he? Yeah, he's he's arguably been up there as one of our players of the season so far. You're absolutely right. He came off against City to a standing ovation and rightly deserved. He, to echo everything you've just said, showed a great deal of maturity, stepping up into a relatively established side. And that's not an easy role, particularly a competitive role at right back where he's he's done really well. But I think he just let the emotions get the better of him a bit. That tackle was that element of immaturity where he just needed to take a breath. You know, it was going away from goal. Okay, the ball had got away from him. He didn't need to dive in. And it was a clear red card. It's always going to be a red card. We can Uh, have no complaints about the second yellow, can we? I mean, that was just clearest day. No, 100%. And actually, what's more disappointing is, given his performance against City, you'd argue that he would be a really, really useful asset against our opponents coming up this weekend. But but obviously, he's um, he's now not going to be available for that game. 
Who is? So, well, that <laughs> you, you asked that almost rhetorically. I'd like you to answer that question. Who is available? How will our team change next week? And what do you expect to see? I mean, Romero will have arrived the day before from Croatia, having played almost no football for us so far. And no football for about two and a half weeks because of the Brazil situation. So I'm not sure what our centre-back lineup will be because Sanchez will have been back the day before as well with him, having also missed this last game. Dyer looks to have picked up a very nasty injury, holding his groin, I think it was, as he came off. There's no news on that so far, is there? We don't. There won't be any till next week, I imagine. It usually takes a few days because they wait for the swelling to go down first anyway. So I, I really don't know what our centre-back lineup will look like. It's, it's probably going to be a completely untested, jet-lagged combo of Sanchez and Romero up against uh, an on-fire Lukaku. So we have that to look forward to. Then you, you go through the team, you pray that at least one of Bergwijn or Son makes it fit. But if not, let's hope that the manager uses wingers on the wing this time because, well, we've seen that the other way doesn't work. So, Joe, we're going to this game. And uh, I hope in spite of all of this, you remain as excited as I am. Going into this game, how do you think we can give Chelsea some problems? Obviously, informed team, Lukaku's firing on all cylinders. We're coming out of a horrible performance. What do we need to do? What's the first thing we need to address? Man, that, that is a very difficult question. I mean, the problem is, is we're taking on possibly the deepest and best balanced squad in European football at the moment. And just everything they're doing is is amazing. I mean, I can't get over how good Lukaku looks. I mean, he's, he's been amazing at Inter for, for the last two seasons and he's been excellent for Belgium for years. But he just looks like another level already after four games at Chelsea, three games, whatever he's played. I don't know. I was feeling very positive about this game. We talked about this a lot last week where I think sometimes we're a bit quick to discount how good Spurs' squad is and we were sort of arguing about where we think Spurs are going to finish this season and the more I thought about it since last week I'm starting to agree with sort of Elio a bit more that maybe third, fourth wasn't beyond our capability with the talent in the squad but just got so many problems I don't want to keep blaming the international break but so much has gone wrong in the last 10 to 14 days for us and yesterday's just compounded that so as you just alluded to this is a real problem, the centre-back situation, and, and who are we going to have there? You haven't let one defeat kill your spirits for the season already, have you, Joe? I thought you were better than that. <laughs> it's um, it, it maybe not killed my spirits for the season, but I think Chelsea was probably one of the last games we needed to have immediately after this. Yeah. <laughs> You're in real danger of proving Dave's friend right at this rate. But we'll move on. Pricey, you had something to add? Yeah, I, I think one of the... I guess kind of issues we probably need to address is is not necessarily looking at our defensive fragilities or the lack of options we have at the back, but actually we've not been anywhere near as clinical up top this season as we probably should have been. I think we're currently at 18 shots on target, which is less than 50% of our total shots season to date. We've won three games 1-0 and then we've lost 3-0 to Palace. We're kind of at an inflection point where because of that lack of finishing, if we go 1-0 down, 2-0 down, I can't see us getting back into the game. So are we then going to lose? Because actually we're just not firing up top. And then it comes back to the Kane debate. But look, I think one of the great things so far this season has been they're playing for Nuno, which is fantastic to see. But we also need to start converting more chances. Dave, I trust you did your homework and you watched the Chelsea game to look at Tottenham's next opponents. Did you see it the way I did? Did you look at a team that can be got at 
because I saw Aston Villa create a few problems for them. I thought a few times they actually, they pressed them high, they got the ball off them. Saul had an absolute horror show of a debut, incidentally. Whether he starts next week or not, I don't know. But I think Villa had a lot of chances. And on another day, they may have actually got a couple of goals, which actually, weirdly, despite the result, despite the scoreline, has left me feeling slightly more confident about our next game. What did you make of Chelsea? Yeah, I, I take everything you said, but I think the key point of Chelsea is that they can shuffle that pack and they can shuffle it in several different ways and they can be equally strong or even stronger. And that's the scary thing about it. I mean, it, it gives me no pleasure to say that Chelsea look like an absolute machine at the moment. Mm. But, you know, it'll be a different Tottenham. It'll be a different mindset from Nuno. He's had positive performances when he was a Wolves manager against Chelsea. I mean, they're probably a different animal now uh, at Chelsea, um, mm. but he has better players now at Tottenham. So you would hope that he would have uh, a couple of ideas. I'm not going to hold my breath for you, though. <laughs> well, we, we don't want to get into a midfield battle with the likes of Kovacic and Kante and, and potentially Jorginho or Sao, do we? We don't want to repeat the mistakes of Crystal Palace because if we, if we keep the game that narrow, I can certainly see us running into all kinds of problems. I think the most immediate, obvious problem that everyone's alluded to is uh, the big man up front, Romelu Lukaku. Elio, is he one of these players that you just have to say... If he's on form, he's going to score and you can't stop him. Or would you have a specific strategy to oppose someone like Lukaku? I think the worst thing we could do, and we've got a very solid collection of front foot centre-backs right now, whoever does play, which plays into Lukaku's hand. But the worst thing we can do is try and put people right up against him because he'll always overpower them. He'll always be able to spin them. He'll always get his shots off as a result. But... Even after a good time in Italy, everyone knows Lukaku's not the most elegant of footballers. He's not the greatest when he actually has that decision to make where he has a little bit more space. So I think the best thing we can do is go that tiny bit deeper against him. Don't let him actually get his back to them where he can bully our centre-backs and and make him actually have to think, do I shoot? Do I pass someone? And the thing is, if he shoots, then chances are he'll score anyway. But... He rifled one into the top corner from about 25 yards, but let's, let's hope that was yeah. a fluke, shall we? Well, it's not a fluke, but at the same time, I'd rather he was shooting from 25 yards than from 16 because he's just knocked our centre-back over. It's very hard to stop a player that powerful at any given time because he can do almost everything that you'd want from a number nine, but at the same time... You have to try and mitigate his biggest strengths because there are no real weaknesses. I mean, I was nitpicking there because I needed to say something, but you have to try and mitigate his biggest strengths and his biggest strength is his strength. Absolutely. Rhys James has had a great season, as have most of the Chelsea players, to be fair. How do we see that battle on that side with Regulon and Rhys James going down? Because Regulon likes to get forward, Rhys James likes to get forward. We touched on the fact that we can see that a lot of chances from out wide last week. Does anyone see that as a potential problem area for us? It depends whether it's the side that worked the flanks brilliantly for three games or whether it's the side that had no flank for the last game we played. The way we did succeed in the first three games is that we forced almost all of the play onto the flanks where we always seem to have three players on two or one of the opposition. So if we do that again, yes, Rhys James is very, very good, but he's not superhuman and I do think he can be stopped. 
but it requires Reguilon, it requires Delhi if he's back in that role, it requires whoever's on the left, whether it's Son, Bergwijn, Hill, whoever, it requires them to actually work very, very in sync, concentrate and not let up on the effort all game long. But I think doing your best to mitigate someone like that can be dangerous. I think the worst thing we could do to James and the best thing for us is try and pin him back with the quality we do have on that side of that pitch and make him a little more reluctant to bump forward and a little bit more cautious in what he does. That That's going to negate him far more than trying to mark him out. It's a mentality thing, isn't it? Exactly as you say, it's a case of not showing too much respect and saying we're the home team, we can attack, we have ability on that side and just to actually take it to them and put the onus on him to stop us as opposed to the other way around, I guess. So moving on from that, and of course, look, if you're listening and you have any thoughts on the Chelsea game, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Tell us what team you would put out and how you see that going. Before we move on, we actually have a question from one of our listeners this week. This one is, of course, directed at Elio. We have a question here from Mark Marshall, and he has asked Elio to change his mind on something. Mark says, I believe that Ledley King is a myth. He goes on in brackets to say his brilliance rather than the man himself. He's not creating some conspiracy theory where Ledley King never existed. I believe Ledley King is a myth. Good centre-half, not elite level. Overhyped due to the fact he spent half his career injured. Probably similar level to your Maguires of today. Has nothing on the likes of your Rios and your Van Dykes. Willing to change our mind, and hopefully this hasn't offended you all too much. Now, Mark, let me just take this opportunity to say on behalf of all of us, how dare you, first of all, the absolute audacity... No, I'm joking. Look, we welcome uh, differing opinions, and I think this is actually something that seems to divide football fans uh, quite a lot. So I'm very keen to hear Dave's opinion on this eventually. But Elio, talk to us about Ledley King. <laughs> um, I mean, you start? he compared him to Harry Maguire, which is... Borderline insulting, I think. I'm trying to choose my words on this one because obviously uh, Ledley King someone that we're all very protective over having watched him a couple of hundred times for us. But Ledley King was the player that everyone thought Rio Ferdinand was, in my opinion. He was completely two-footed, perfect passer out of the back. He passed the ball better than most of England's midfielders at the time. He was quick, he was strong, he read the game beautifully. He almost never had to make a tackle because he, he got the ball long before it reached the attack. He he had it all and he was imperious in everything he did. I mean, a lot of players do end up relying on their pace when they have as much as he did. You almost never realised how fast he was unless someone else made a mistake and he had to get them out of jail. There was that very sort of famous tackle against Robert when we beat them for the first mm. time in 16 years, I think it was, where he, he Robin had a massive head start on him and he got back and tackled to put it out for a corner. Ledley had that pace and never had to use it. Thierry Henry actually once said the best player he ever played against defensive-wise was Ledley King because he was the only one that could get the ball off him without fouling him. And I think you're not going to get much higher praise than that. I think King, if he didn't have the injuries he's had, would have left us because he played for us at a time, same as Harry is now, I guess, where we were sort of fifth, sixth, seventh, and the guy deserved to be playing against the best teams in the world every single time. They always talk about silent leaders, lead by example. He was the definition of lead by example because he led that line so well. He actually 
put so few feet wrong the entire match that it inspired confidence in everybody around him. The goalkeeper would be braver to come further off his line. The fullbacks would be braver to charge up his partner, who was usually Michael Dawson. That was probably his best partner. Not the best player that partnered him, but the best relationship. The best player that partnered him was probably Woodgate. Dawson could actually step out and attack a header because he knew if he misjudged it, Ledley King would mop it up. There was so much he brought to it. And you can't disagree not just with our managers, but the England managers that the second he was fit would pick him. I mean, he basically retired Jamie Carragher because he he got picked by Capello having been injured for about a year and Carragher threw a stropper about the whole situation and ended his international career. So, no, I, I, I don't know if that's the answer to convince Mark, but I don't think you can answer a question like that with anything but emotion because Ledley King... I don't think he got sent off, by the way, which is rare for a centre-back, but Ledley King was pretty much perfect in everything you'd want a centre-back to be perfect in. You mentioned Thierry Henry quote, actually. I've got, I've got the full quote here. So he, he said, I don't like defenders who hold the shirts of other players. The only defender in England who doesn't do that and sometimes still gets the ball off my feet easily is Ledley King. He's the only guy who doesn't hold players who will get the ball off you without you even noticing. For me, that is a good defender. And uh, yeah, that, that's pretty high, high praise, of course, coming from someone like Thierry Henry. You mentioned Fabio Capello having picked him. He said, without doubt, King is one of the best central defenders in England. And our very own Martin Yole uh, said he is the best central defender I have ever seen which is high praise indeed. Dave, I mentioned I wanted to come to you because I think I've had so many arguments with non-Spurs fans over the years on this exact point. And I feel like all Spurs fans worship Deadly King as some kind of Spurs royalty, and rightly so. But uh, I do hear a lot of opinions in line with Mark saying that he was overhyped and maybe we are a bit flattering on him. What's your thought as an outsider? I think there is an internal hero worship element to this, but that's the same for every club. As much as it pains me to say it now, based on what he went on to do with another club, who we won't name, um, (laughs) when I had a lead season ticket, I felt privileged watching Rio Ferdinand defend. He was exceptional. The Deportivo game in the Champions League, I've never seen a better defensive performance in my entire life. But, moving back on to King, you look at the story, the whole story, the context of his career, the injuries that he sustained, and the fact, you mentioned it earlier, the fact that he never got sent off, he hardly ever got booked, it must mm. therefore show that his ability to read the game, his ability to get in front of the man, his ability to take the ball, must have been excellent. You know, you can only look at his career through numbers to see that. And yet, every time he got picked for England, I was never questioning it. I think... If you want a game to sum up King, you need to watch our League Cup victory in 2008 where Lely had been injured for ages. I think he managed something like six or seven league games that season in total. He came into that team having not trained in the slightest, not played in ages, partnered Woodgate for either the first or second time and absolutely ate Drogba alive the entire match, Drogba being the best striker by a country mile in the country that season. So... I think if you want to know what Ledley King was all about, watch the 2008 League Cup final and watch how little Drogba did up against him. Drogba did incidentally score a great free kick that game, not given away by Ledley King, but in terms of open play, got nowhere near him. I did watch that game actually quite recently. And and to be honest, I was more... I was more focusing on the Woodgate goal <laughs> with my Leeds connections than, than the King performance. But, but yeah, we can forgive point. you. 
I was just going to say, I think there are almost two versions of Ledley King, really, when we look back. There's the Ledley King that we saw, Ledley King that played, and then there's there's who he could have been. There's the Ledley King in a kind of bizarro alternate universe that had both his knees in full working order, who could train every week. And I think as football fans, it's easy to look back at the what could have been. And you see it with players like Brazilian Ronaldo, with Michael Owen, players who have had injury problems. And you just think like what he could have been. You talk about them in those terms more than necessarily what they were. Not saying that what King was was anything less than spectacular, of course. But I think it, it's easy to uh, let the two conflate at times, potentially. Pricey, Joe, if, if you're putting together a dream Premier League defence duo are you putting Ledley King in there is, is Rio or Van Dyke getting I, ahead for either of you go to you Joe first I, I mean Van Dyke you probably haven't judged him over quite so many years as Ledley King so I mean Van Dyke's been amazing but I guess one question is is he going to be the same player he was after the injury he had last year so you know probably need a bit more time there but I, I really thought Van Dyke could possibly be the best defender that's ever been in the Premier League to his injury last year Ledley King I, I, I always thought he was the best defender in the league Maybe apart from Rio Ferdinand, I might have to give that one to Dave, to be fair. I guess I would probably go with Ferdinand and Ledley King. Would probably be my, my pairing for best ever in the Premier League. Pricey, uh, Ledley King or Harry Maguire? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to go with King on, on that one. Um, we wouldn't not, have let you back not, if you hadn't. Not, not just for nostalgia. Um, it's, it's a tough one if King gets into kind of like an all-time squad because you're comparing as we've just discussed, what was effectively a condensed career versus people who were able to go and have long, illustrious and very successful careers. And, and therefore you're kind of, in a way, comparing the what could have been against the the what the what has been. You know, as, as we've discussed, there's, there's no doubt he's he's up there, but possibly doesn't get the plaudits and, and the I guess kind of the reward that he deserves, um, you know, for, for, for how good he was. You couldn't tell which foot Ledley King preferred. I'll say that about him. Probably the one that had cartilage. <laughs> well, the knee. I told you what his favourite oh, yeah. knee was. I think they both went. I think the first <laughs> one went from the Rory to lap tackle in what was only his second game or something. And then the second knee went from overcompensating for the first knee. Well, I hope, Mark, we have adequately covered your very good question. And it was something that needed to be discussed, of course, as well. And if anyone else has any opinions on Ledley King, do you think he's in the discussion for the best Premier League centre-back of all time? Of course, if you have any questions, if you have any thoughts on this, please get in touch with us at Plus Day Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter or Plus Day Podcast at gmail.com on email. Speaking of, of social media, guys, uh, just jumping back for a second, uh, who wants to hazard a guess at how many Nuno out hashtags we have seen on uh, on social media in the last 24 hours or so. Well, that's depressing. Really? <laughs> yeah. Even one is too many. Um, we, we have 400, 463 hashtag Nuno outs after one defeat. And only 400 of them was me. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to love football fans, haven't you? You've got to love it. Well, look, we're doing very well. We've covered quite a few things. And obviously next week, we are going to talk about the Chelsea game. We're going to take a look forward to the Arsenal game, which, of course, will be the next game after that. So we've got a couple of absolute blockbusters lined up in a row. So please tune in next week for the, uh, the North London Derby special. But before we do that, it is time for Challenge Elio. 
the return of Challenge Elio. Elio's hanging his head in despair right now. He didn't get off to the best start last week, but in fairness to him, I don't think anyone did. I think if, if, you're, if you're joining us for the first time, we're going to be asking Elio some Spurs and or general football related trivia questions every week. Elio, who would never admit it on the podcast, but has often lauded his own football knowledge, is going to take on questions from, uh, from you guys, from our listeners. And then if he can't get them right, everyone else will have a chance to sweep up points and we'll keep a running score. Now, Elio, I think you're, on, you're actually on four points from last week, so maybe I'm doing you a disservice. You actually started fairly well. You got, you got the Barnet question with the Jimmy Greaves, and you, uh, you did okay naming some of the all-time Spurs winners. So... Let's go into this now. And, and to remind you guys, if Helio doesn't know the answer, we'll have to take it to the floor and see if you three can get the answers. Uh, we're going to start off with a, with a quick one. You either know it or you don't, but you can get a guess. Very simply, who scored Tottenham's first ever Premier League goal? See, this predates my <laughs> avid football watching life. So... Without answering, do any of you three think you know it? I'm trying to think whether we'd signed Sheringham yet or whether he... Because I, I think he might have scored the first goal in the Premier League, but I'm not sure it was for us. I think it might have been Nottingham Forest. So, it was... I'll, what, I'll give you a guess. Okay. I'll, give you, I'll, I'll give you a guess. And if you don't know, we'll see if the others know. And then I'll start throwing out clues. Okay. Who's your guess? I'm trying to think who we'd have had up front back then. It's a tricky one, I'll give you that. It's not someone you immediately think of when you think of Spurs' great strikers. Can I ask if that, it was a That forward? might be a clue. It is a striker. Okay. In that case, Gordon Jury? I'm so upset. That's actually correct. Well done. <laughs> it was Gordon Jury. It was Gordon Jury. I was so sure you were going to well need done. a clue on that. I, actually, I feel bad now that I gave you even half a clue, but well done. That's Last very week, good. the first question was the easier one, so I dread to think what the next one is. <laughs> They're in no particular order. They're in no particular order. Sorry, guys, you didn't even get a stab at that. Did anyone know that? Be honest. No, no. I must admit, I didn't know that. I, I didn't not. even really remember that Gordon Jury played for Spurs, if I'm honest. But um, I think, <laughs> as you said, it predates our, uh, our following. Okay, I'm not so. sure I'd have got it if you hadn't given it away as striker. I mean, that's not exactly narrowing down a huge amount, is it? Yeah. <laughs> You'd think it would be a striker. Okay, okay. So next, next question. And this one comes from one of our listeners. This one actually comes from Edward Vickers. And he asks us, and again, there, there are actually three answers to this. So if you don't get all of them, the others have a chance to sweep up the points. In the summer of 2013, Spurs broke their record transfer three times. Can you name the three players? If you get one wrong, I'm passing it back over. 2013, three times. So that was the summer that Bale left us, wasn't it? Um, it's always hard because you never quite know what the true transfer figures are, the way they're reported. Everyone has an opinion mm. on that. Guys, he's making excuses. I was going to say it. I'm going to go with Lamella for one of them. Lamella is correct. I'm going to go with Soldado for the other. Also correct. This depends whether he was signed before them or after them, but he was only other player of any particular price we paid that summer. So it has to be Paulinho. Guys, I'm really sorry he's doing too well this week. We're going to have to make the questions harder next time. That's very, very well done. Those are the right answers. Congratulations. Paulinho, Soldado, Lamela for another three points. Moving on. 
I actually think this next one might be the easiest one. This is bad. We're going to have to calibrate pretty hard. If you're listening, please start thinking from now about some really horrible questions for Elio next week because he's doing too well. As we mentioned earlier, we had a bit of a, a scuffle in, uh, in South America this week. So this is a South American-themed question, specifically an Argentinian-themed question. Tottenham obviously have a long history with Argentina. In the Premier League era, Tottenham have had seven Argentinians. I want you to name all of them. And if you don't name all of them, I'm not giving you the points because you're doing too well and I'm going to let the others have a chance. Lamella, La Celso, Foyt, Fazio, Tarico, uh, Romero. Who are the seventh? Oh, Gazaniga. I was just about to say I'm going to give you 30 seconds, but you didn't need them. I swear we haven't given any answers in advance. Okay, well done. Congratulations. That's very good. I, I guarantee you're not going to get... Well, I'm not sure if I'm ready to guarantee, but I'm pretty sure you're not going to get all the answers in the next question. I've left potentially the hardest one to get all of them on to last. I'm tempted to give it to the others first, out of fairness, just to see if they can get any of them so they get some airtime. I feel like but, uh, I feel like Elia's clearly been, you know... He's been swassing up, buying, hasn't he? Buying trivia books in bulk <laughs> after the performance of last week. He's like, well, if that's happening again, I'm going to sort myself out. <laughs> Elio, is that, is that a Spurs encyclopedia I can see in the background <laughs> on your bookshelf? This is all a reaction to last week's uh, horror show. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, you're doing very well so far. This is an interesting one. I'd, I'd be curious to see how, how many you get on this. But uh, this is an international-themed question in light of our recent uh, international matches. Seven Spurs players have scored 20 or more goals for England. Can you name all seven? I'm not even allowed one wrong, I imagine. No, the minute you get one wrong, it, it passes over. Are these goals while they were playing for us or just... It, no, you know? no, it's players that have played at least one game for Spurs and okay. have also scored 20 goals for England. All right. There are seven of them. Well, Kane and Greaves are the obvious ones. Um, right. I'm going to get this one out of the way just in case because I believe he's also one of the greatest goals per game that you're ever going to see for any England striker, a guy called Vivian Woodward. I'm really upset that you got that one. Was that, that was one the you one, expected? That, that was the one I thought no one was going to know. I was... He, was part, he was part of our first ever FA Cup win, which was, other guys? Uh, pressure? Like when was our 21? first ever FA Cup win? No, that was our second. 11. It did end in a one. <laughs> this is going badly. Keep going. Whack another 10 back. 1901. 1901. So we're really going back. I mean, 120 years ago, and Elio knows it. I'm a bit, bit upset with that. But that is another correct answer to take you to three. You have four to go. If you don't get all seven without a single one wrong, I'm not going to give you any points. Okay, fine. And I'm going to let the others take the points if they can, even, if, if they can get one. Jermaine Defoe? Correct. Just, Just. With 20 on the dot. I'm trying yeah, to think there. if he played enough for England to have got 20 goals plus. Martin Chivers. Guys, he's got one wrong. <laughs> he's got one wrong. Even I'm happy about that. I mean, certainly one of Tottenham's uh, highest goal scorers, but not, uh, not in the list, unfortunately. So to recap, we're looking for three more. Just like last week. Rather than, rather than do a kind of free-for-all shouting out answers, I'll let you guys to uh, kind of discuss among yourselves and, and let me know if you have an official answer to put forward and see if you can steal the points from Elio. I have an official answer to put forward and I'm in shock that you yeah, didn't say his name. Dave seems pretty confident. Gary Lineker. 
Very good. Gary I'm Lineker. Trying, I'm trying to get the hard ones out of the way first. That's why. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's doing. why you went with Kane and Greaves to start with. <laughs> he said he's trying to give you a chance, basically. I, I get it. Okay. Gary Lineker, of course, the third highest and in I'm out. scorer. Well, very good. Very good. I mean, you've, uh, you've still got... How many is that now? That five? We've still got two, two, two left. One of them is fairly obvious, I would say. Teddy, Teddy Sheringham? You've got to tell me if it's going to be an official guess. Joe, Dave, what do we think? Yeah, I, I'm yeah, not sure yeah, he scored as many that. goals as we think he did for England. You don't, you don't think Sheringham got 20 goals for England, Dave? If this is wrong, it goes back over to Elio. Or, or do we give you an, a, one free hit? I think Sheringham scored 17 goals for England. Oh, look at the mind games happening here. Oh, wow. It's heating up in here. <laughs> He's in our head, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's working. <laughs> so we, we got Lineker, Greaves, Kane, Woodward, Defoe, the five we've got so far. One is difficult because he's much better associated with another London club. Specifically on an international scale, if that makes any sense. Not convinced it does. <laughs> I'm going to have to push you guys. I'm going to need an answer soon. You can just throw out a name and I'll get it back to Elio. You'll get another chance if he doesn't know it. Oh, this is a tough one. I, it, I think it's a, it's a punt, but is it one of the, like the classic old strikers? You've said that and then you've said an international connection and I'm thinking... Could it be like when West Ham won the World Cup or something like that? It's not Jeff Hurst. Dave, I will say you're on a very good track. Who is the other guy that scored the goal in the World Cup final? Was he a striker? As England fans, you should know this. Peters? That's a, that's a good shout, actually. Is that an official guess? Because he's West Ham known. That's what's made me go that way. Up to you guys. I'm, that's that's totally totally random guess. I think that's, yeah, that sounds, yeah, well, it sounds like Sheringham is not the way to go. So I, I think that's probably going to be a better answer to put forward. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Martin Peters scored 20 goals for England. He's oh. one of the two. Congratulations. <laughs> well done, Dave. That's good. Spent, I believe, five seasons at Tottenham, but obviously better known for uh, winning the World Cup for West Ham, as they like to remind us. And we have one more. Elio, do you think you know? I, I'm saying nothing. <laughs> Somehow the mind games have escalated further. I don't know. I haven't got anything. Yeah, nothing's coming to mind for me. All right, that's enough, guys. That's enough. It's going to Elio. Come on. <laughs> All right, it's Sheringham then. Wrong. Oh. I don't trust you now. I'm, I'm Googling it. <laughs> <laughs> we have Gary Lineker, Jimmy Greaves, Harry Kane, yep. Vivian Woodward. There is one more. Okay, I know, I know it is, but I've Googled it. All right, Dave's out. Dave's out. He's looked it up. This, this man has 22 England goals. He did play for several other clubs. It's Crouchy, isn't it? It is Crouchy. It is indeed. The man who got us into the Champions League for the first time and scored 22 <laughs> goals for England, which is a pretty good record, to be fair. He did, he did pretty well on the international scale. Well, look, I think it's safe to say Elio upped his form this week and did very, very well. I must say, I, I, think, I think I was right to... to... Poo-poo Sheringham, by you the way. He scored 11. He only got 11, 11 I goals. was surprised by that. 11? Yeah. The first thing I did when I saw the list was Google Sheringham to see where he was. I thought he might have just missed it. But yeah, I mean, I guess there was a lot of competition for places around that time for the England team. And 
But uh, yeah, showing is not on not on the list. Well, look, well done, Elia. That's that's very well done. And again, if you have any questions for Challenge Elia next week, I think I speak on behalf of all of us when I say make them more difficult. I thought it'd be a good time just quickly before we wrap things up to, with the introduction of Pricey uh, to take a quick look at our FPL league and see how that's going. So uh, Pricey, as defending champion, would you say uh, who, who would you say has had a better start to the season, Spurs or your returning champions in FPL? Oh, that's a, probably Spurs, actually. It, it, it's been a slow but consistent start to the season. You made some bold decisions this week, which have paid off. I saw a nice uh, transfer in and captaincy of Ronaldo oh, yeah. um, inspired. Uh, I noticed no one fancied the old man at United. Thought he was past it. It's just me then, yeah? <laughs> hmm, interesting. I expected it from Dave. Just you. I decided to give Bruno Fernandes one like one last one last dance. <laughs> that so was you know, that that was I thought I'd save save the points hit and uh, I'd, I'd I'd go down the same route and look, he he returned. That's the main thing. It still kind of keeps you in the game. It's a marathon, not a sprint. There's a long there's a long way to go. Elio, you're being very quiet on this. Um, I'm looking at my FPL. I'm not I'm not too displeased with this week, Joe and yourself have both outdone me this week by a few points but I've made a lot of ground up on on third and fourth place so I'm almost in the Champions League out of six people (laughs) I don't think I don't think top four would get you in the Champions League in a league of six I'm being honest Elio but eight eight oh of course yeah there are more yeah and on that note, if you would like to join our FPL League, we do have one for uh, for listeners. We're uh, I'm still top, so please try and shut me up by joining. If you'd like to knock me off my perch, you have over 312 points. Please, please join. Uh, the code for joining our league is JB3PSV. That's JB3PSV. As I mentioned before, one last time, our socials are Plus Dave Podcast, both on Twitter and Instagram. We can be reached by email at plusdavepodcast.com at gmail.com i'd like to uh, obviously thank all my guests uh, starting with the returners elio dave and joe and of course to uh, the new man pricey who had an excellent debut today uh, pricey how have you enjoyed yourself today will you be coming back uh if, if you'll have me back <laughs> there's a bit of a hesitation there i'm not sure what i feel about that well well when, I, when we played five aside <laughs> i wasn't allowed back after my debut so uh <laughs> oh, you've done much better than that this time um the one thing i would actually add as well just as an addition is whilst we've been on air our women's super league team have beaten city in a shock away victory with what can only be described as the hand of god um <laughs> obviously no var in women's uh, super league wow. so uh that's well worth checking out and uh, sure we can talk about that next week Who's their manager? Maybe we should do a switch. Sounds like they've got it all together. Very good. We'll add another Nuno out tweet to uh, to the collection. Uh, brilliant. Well, look, as I said before, thank you guys very much for returning. I look forward very much to next week, not least because I'm going to the Chelsea game. Very much looking forward to discussing that, of course. And uh, I will see you guys, some of you at the ground. And Joe, look forward to sitting next to you and sharing your thoughts. Thank you to everyone who's listened, all of you all over the world, our international following now. Great to see. And I can't wait to see what countries are tuning in this week as well. Please get in touch with us. Let us know if you have any questions. If you have any thoughts on anything we've discussed this week, of course, any questions for Challenge Elio, join our FPL and tune in next week as we have the North London Derby special where we will be discussing all of our favourite stories, favourite moments from uh, back across the years of our Arsenal Spurs matches that we've seen. So without any further ado, thank you guys for listening. You stay classy, Spurs fans, and we will see you again next week. Here's Deli Alley. Here's Lucas Moura. Oh, they've done it! Oh,